Oh yeah. I get around. Still clown when the underground when we come around. Stronger than ever. Back to get wrecked. All respect to those who broke their neck to keep the house in check. Cause oh, they sweat a brother majorly. And I don't know why your girl keeps paging me. She tell me that she needs me. Cries when she leaves me. And every time she sees me, she squeezes me. Welcome to the week six edition of DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I am 4 for 4 senior DFS editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by associate editor and co-founder of Roster Coach, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's poppin', TJ? What's up, Chris? Just trying to get ready for this week that looks like... Uh... Looks like it's pretty difficult this week, so hopefully uh, this podcast can help us flesh out some of all that all that noise that we got this week. Most definitely, an uh, interesting week. It is recording this on Wednesday, October twelfth. As of now, it seems like there's only one game with an over under above forty eight, I believe, and that's the Saints mm-hmm. Saints Panthers game, which has an over under of fifty two, fifty three, depending on where you look so definitely a lot to discuss seems like a lot of games are kind of in that same mediocre total range before we get into the position by position breakdown in our dfs theory segment on our late saturday early sunday morning process let's quickly touch on the song which played us in which is i get around by Tupac off his 1993 album, Strictly for My, I can't say the last word, but TJ, I believe this is our first Tupac on the podcast. I was surprised at that. I swear we had some earlier, but I guess not. So uh, how you feeling about Tupac? It's been a while since he, uh, since he passed away, man. I feel old. Yeah, yeah, I know what we're going on. 20 20 years here pretty soon but yeah this song with digital underground from oakland so uh always a little special place in my heart grew up in the bay area so it's nice to get a little bay area mix in there uh tupac one of the greats like we we got the spotify playlist uh up for the dfs mvp it is all of our intro songs so uh we're not djs so if you send us a request it's not just going to make it to the playlist the playlist is our intros only so it's slowly building and we'll keep getting it up there for you. Are you just getting inundated with song requests to add to the playlist? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I'm DJ TJ. Oh, oh okay. Well, uh, mm-hmm. man, I might have to send you some requests. Start mm-hmm. a whole other playlist. Yep. Uh, okay, so yeah, check it out. I get around strictly for my off Tupac's 1993 album. Great album. Tupac put out uh, a lot of material. Um, but some of it, some of it better than others, but, uh, you know, definitely check it out. Let's get into our quarterbacks for week number six. I'll start it off with Mr. Drew Brees playing the Carolina Panthers. Brees and the Saints coming off a bye. They are at home in what our friends over at the DFS Edge podcast like to call the Coors Field 
of the NFL playing in the Superdome. Panthers are on a short week. Since 2014, Breeze has been averaging 342 passing yards and 2.6 passing touchdowns at home compared to quote-unquote just 292 passing yards and 1.7 touchdowns on the road. So Drew Brees has some of the most lopsided home road splits in the NFL. He's a guy that I think I've mentioned this before, but I almost always play him in the Superdome regardless of opponent maybe unless it's a Seattle or a Denver. And on the road, I almost always fade Brees just because usually Road games come after home games, and Breeze usually is coming off a big game at home and then tends to be over-owned on the road, where uh, opposing offenses don't necessarily shred the Saints' defense as much away from the Superdome, which just lowers the overall uh, offensive output for both teams a bit when the Saints go on the road. But uh, since 2014, Breeze is averaging four more passing attempts at home. And, of course, we're looking for efficiency with our fantasy quarterbacks, not volume. But when you have a super efficient quarterback like Drew Brees, uh, an uptick in attempts always helps. The Panthers, without a cornerback who, you know, I think, you know, they might feel like they want back in Josh Norman, is allowing 84 yards per attempt to quarterbacks this season. That is the fourth worst mark in the NFL. And besides Matt Ryan, the Panthers are giving up 8.4 yards per attempt. And the other quarterbacks they faced are Trevor Simeon, Blaine Gabbert, Sam Bradford, and Jameis Winston. So not exactly a murderer's row there. And the Panthers are struggling on defense. As I mentioned, they're coming off a short week. Uh, the over-under is 53 and I think Breeze's ownership will be somewhat held in check by the fact that we have Cam Newton going against the Saints defense. And then we have Big Ben coming off a big game going into Miami, a defense that's really struggling. Brian Maxwell playing really bad at corner. So I think because Cam and Big Ben are in the same price range as Breeze, I don't think the ownership will get out of control. And in general, quarterback ownership usually doesn't get that much out of control just because there are so many options in a given week. So Drew Breeze at home, love it in week six. TJ? Yeah, I like this game. Um, there's actually a lot of really nice quarterback options this week. One of my other favorite quarterback options is the other quarterback in this game, Cam Newton. Uh, that's one of three games with two teams that rank in the top 12 in the league in pace. So should be a lot of points as expected. But I don't want to give you a bunch of guys in the same price range. So uh, if you do want to drop down and go a little bit off the radar, I really like Alex Smith this week. He's $6,800 on FanDuel, $5,700 on DraftKings. Um, I kind of threw out some some chief stats earlier in the week, and some people started hitting me with the Andy Reid coming off a buy narrative. So did some research to make sure that the narrative was true. And Andy Reid as a head coach is 15-2 and two in 17 games coming off of a bye week, winning by an average score of 24-15. So... Uh, although that is a still not a huge sample, it's pretty pretty noticeable uh, getting those two weeks to prepare. This game opened with the Raiders favored by two, and even though the majority of the bets are on Oakland, it was up to 60% yesterday. I think it's down to about 55% now, but even with that 60% uh, 
uh, number on Oakland. The game moved two points in favor of Kansas City. The game's a pick em right now. So right when that line came open, a lot of sharp money came in on Kansas City, maybe recognizing that Andy Reid uh, coming off the bye. So it looks like that the Chiefs are going to be in a really good spot here in a division game that they're probably really going to want to win. Uh, Alex Smith has just six touchdowns this year, but those six touchdowns account for 85% of all of the Chiefs' touchdowns. Only three quarterbacks in the league have accounted for a higher percent of their team touchdowns. Oakland allows 6.3% touchdown rate, which is among tops in the league, and also uh, very high fantasy points per attempt, 0.65 fantasy points per attempt. So those uh, two numbers are very indicative of spots where you can see increased efficiency from your quarterback. Uh, don't have the uh, exact reference here, but Jonathan Bales has pointed out in some of his work this year in, in his new book that if you are going to uh, play a quarterback, you want to do it in their first game of the year against a division opponent. Second game, we see those numbers drop off a little bit. So obviously this is the first matchup between these two teams this year. I think Alex Smith is going to have a really nice game. So let me ask you, Alex Smith, because Alex Smith is a guy that I pretty much never roster um just because mm-hmm. i seem to not have a handle on when he's going to do well he seems to get his production in kind of unorthodox ways like he'll get a rushing mm-hmm. touchdown or he'll have some the chiefs will just have a meltdown in the first half and he'll end up throwing it so is alex smith for you a kind of a high floor cash game play mm-hmm. against a bad mm-hmm. defense or is will are you willing to play him in tournaments even though he has only six career um, 300-yard games. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's going to open up the salaries in a, in a week where salaries are really tight, so more of a value play for me. Uh, usually hesitant to play a guy like Alex Smith in tournaments where he's not going to push the ball down the field a lot. Uh, maybe in a spot, if, if salaries were a little more open where uh, – Paying down at quarterback could get me to something like three top pass catchers or three or four really high price guys. Um, then I might think about it, but that's just not going to be the case this week with the salaries being so tight. So more of a value play this week for me. Gotcha. Key stat, every quarterback in the Millie Maker winning lineup in two, 2016 this year um, has been priced at 6800 or more. So this season, I know last season we saw uh, some cases where DraftKings was lowering the pricing on quarterbacks and there were some value options that ended up in those winning Millie Maker lineups. But so far through five weeks in 2016, uh, every quarterback 6,800 or more. TJ? Uh, Houston is one of four teams to throw in at least 70% of their red zone plays this year. And Texans have the highest relative implied total of the week this week. Their implied point total of 24.5 is eight points over their point per game average so far this year. A few more things on quarterbacks. Are we going back to the well with Brian Hoyer at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars? He's coming off three straight 300-yard two touchdown games but Jacksonville has not allowed more than 234 yards passing despite facing Rivers, Luck, and Rodgers already. What do you think about Hoyer this week? Uh, 
I'm probably not going to have Hoyer probably in any format. Um, I think people probably realize now that he has put up some pretty big fantasy numbers in three consecutive weeks. Uh, those games, one was a really uh, bad game script, which means good for the passing game, and then the other two were against really bad secondaries. Jacksonville hasn't been uh, too bad against the pass. Uh, I think we've probably seen Hoyer's ceiling. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that the way Howard's been playing, that they'll probably start to get the running back a little more involved, whereas through uh, these first five weeks, they've been one of the most pass-heavy teams in the league, the Bears. And uh, I think that unless you don't have any other options, I, I don't see a reason to have to pay all the way down for Hoyer and Cash, and I don't think he's going to be the contrarian player, the upside player that you want in a GPP. So uh, it just doesn't make much sense to me at this point. Speaking of paying down in cash, I know in a lot of people's models, a lot of projection systems, a couple of guys are going to stand out. The first is Tyrod Taylor. He's 5,300 on DraftKings at home uh, as a big favorite high implied point total against the San Francisco 49ers. Is Tyrod cash game viable for you? Uh, my only concern with Tyrod is that Buffalo is the most run-heavy team uh, in the red zone. So uh, even if that play volume does go up, I think they're going to want to use their running game to try to score. So I have some concerns there. I think given that his price, uh, given his price tag, he's fine in cash games, um, but he's probably not my top two or three choices this week. Yeah, I agree. I think his overall ceiling probably gets a little compromised just because Sammy Watkins isn't in the lineup. Um, I, you know, I'm okay with Tyrod more so in tournaments. I think, I think it's just really hard for Tyrod to put up those high end passing numbers without Watkins. Um, if he does, it'll probably be due to something like a, another one of those Marquise Goodwin long touchdown plays or something mm-hmm. like that, or, or, or maybe a rushing score. But you know, since, since Watkins went down, I think Tyrod, he's more of a, a floor play, so I guess I could see it in cash, but um, not not overly excited about using him, like you mentioned. Um, you don't really need to pay down that far. Another guy that I'm sure some people will be considering just because of the opponent and, and because of what he did last week is Marcus Mariota. Now, we've been here before where Mariota's going against a weak defense and he kind of underperformed. So uh, any in, is Marcus Mariota cash viable at all, first of all? Um, and just how are you feeling about him this week? Yeah, I don't have any interest in Mariota. Uh, Cleveland's bad against the pass, but they're bad all around. They're not one of those funnel defenses where uh, you know things are going to go one way. There's one way to exploit a team. Uh, Tennessee's made it very clear that they're going to be a run-first team. They lead the league in percent of touches to running backs. DeMarco leads the league in um, and touches near the uh, near the inside the ten yard line. So outside of Demarco, I really don't want um, much of this offense. Definitely love Demarco. Been loving him all season. Final question on quarterbacks: Any interest in Dak Prescott this week with Green Bay having? A funnel defense. I know Dak's ceiling has kind of been held in check just because Dallas is so good at running the ball and they run the ball so much. But going against Rodgers in Green Bay, uh, do you think this is maybe a week where Dak kind of airs it out a little bit more than he has been? 
Yeah, I mean, we kind of hoped this last week with Eli, and it didn't really come to fruition. Uh, I mean, the the Cowboys kind of like the Titans. They just want to slow the game down, run the ball as much as possible. Um, if Dak is going to get it done, it's probably going to be with his legs in terms of those touchdowns. Uh, unless Dez is on the field, I, I probably am not targeting Dak this week. Right, and speaking of Eli Manning, I mean, I'm, I'm from the New York area. I'm actually a Giants fan, and, you know, I think a, a lot of people – we're, we're kind of high on Eli as kind of a late-round quarterback this year, and I, I was one of them. And I just got to say, Eli's playing legitimately bad this year. Like, mm-hmm. usually, you know, Eli gets a lot of heat for, you know, things that are really out of his control, you know, a bad offensive line or just no real receivers outside of Beckham. But, you know, th- this year, I- I've just been watching Eli. I-, I think he's playing legitimately bad football. Um, he's just showing no real pocket where he fumbles – at least once every game. Yeah. Um, he seems kind of skittish at times, just throwing the ball away too early. Um, you know, I, I've been kind of really disappointed in, in Eli's level of play, and I'm really going to kind of pull back on, on my exposure to Eli um, going forward until we, we see him kind of put, put, put a good game together. But uh, moving on to the running back position, and TJ, you just alluded to this. Buffalo loves to run the ball, going against the 49er team as an eight-point favorite at home. So Shady McCoy has to be uh, one of the top options that you're looking at at running back 8,200 on FanDuel, 6,900 on DK. And Shady has 19 or more touches in every game. He's averaging 20.8 excuse me, touches on the season. He has 90-plus total yards in four straight games, 100-plus total yards in three straight games, averaging 5.26 yards per carry on the season. The 49ers have been unable to stop opposing running games. They have given up a 100-yard rusher in four straight games, and they are allowing 4.68 yards per carry. So Shady McCoy running really well. Uh, Most of his runs have been for positive yardage. He's not getting caught in the backfield or, or producing those negative plays like we're used to with him. It seems like the firing of Greg Roman kind of really uh, got Shady going to the next level. That might just be uh, correlation and not causation. But either way, Shady McCoy in a great spot at home against the 49ers. TJ? Yeah, I mean, this this week really, I really like paying up for running back. Shady being one of those guys, uh, quite a few guys, Le'Veon, DeMarco, Uh, even Zeke, it's starting to feel like with these prices tightening up that we're getting back to a a very um, like barbell type approach. Not that that shouldn't have been the approach before, but with salaries kind of opening up, especially last year, we uh, you could really almost do whatever you wanted. If you wanted to pay up for wide receiver, you could, but uh, starting to feel like we're shifting back to that uh, traditional DFS pay up for running back and quarterback, pay down for your pass catchers. Never want to paint with a broad brush, but uh, it's kind of something I'm starting to notice. But with that being said, if you are looking for uh, value at running back where there there isn't much this week, uh, I am fine with Theo Riddick at $6,600 on FanDuel, $5,300 on DraftKings. Looks like Dwayne Washington's still going to be out. The Lions just signed Justin Forsett, but I wouldn't be too worried about that. Uh, last week with Washington out, Theo Riddick accounted for two-thirds of the team's running back touch share, splitting with Zach Zinner. Obviously, Zinner's not going to be a big part 
of the game uh, between the 20s. Theoretic 6.4 targets per game is second among running backs behind only Le'Veon Bell. Detroit looks like they're in a pretty good spot, favored by three against the Rams. Definitely. And um, let's go with the key stat here. The Indianapolis Colts are allowing 6.0 yards per touch to running backs, and that's tied for most in the NFL. Yeah, I love Jordan Howard again this week. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, that was last week. That, that's what contributed yeah, that to it. <laughs> that contributed um, to it. <laughs> oh, that's Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love going back to love going to Miller this week. Um, my key stat: sixty-three percent of all Titans touches have been to a running back, which is the largest largest total running back share in the league this year. And uh, some other random running back uh, situations here. Bobby Rainey is the number one value play, uh, according to our projections, on DraftKings. He's 3,300. Any interest in playing a guy like Rainey, just because I know the listeners out there, especially if they have the 4 for 4 sub, or looking at any type of projection model, I'm you know, and they see a guy like Bobby Rainey up at the top, they're probably wondering, you know, should I use this guy, or you know, is this, is it, you know, is it not really worth it because the ceiling's not there? Um, what are your feelings about Rainey uh, for the Giants uh, this weekend? My concern with this is that uh, not only has Baltimore been pretty decent against running backs, I'll be, although Rainey is a, a pass catching running back. 5.7 targets per game. Uh, you alluded to it with Eli. This offense, their their upside is just capped. As long as Eli's playing this poorly, uh, it's going to be really hard for them to put up a lot of, of numbers. And even though the volume hasn't been there, Odell is still the default red zone um, and even goal line guy right now. So I don't think that I can do Rainey this week. Right, I agree. I just he's not the type of back that I really want to roster because I'm not rostering him in cash games and then in a tournament I want a guy with that 20 touch upside. I want a guy with some more goal line upside. So, Rainey, you know, good value. I I guess there maybe is a place to use him if you're trying to just punt a running back or a flex position, but um I, I'm not going there. Carlos Hyde. Now, he's got six touchdowns on the year. He caught six passes last week. He's getting pretty much close to 20 touches or more than 20 touches in every game, even when they have bad game script. Uh, He's still uh, pretty affordable in the low 5K range on DraftKings. Uh, Any interest in Carlos Hyde, despite being the road underdog uh, this week against Buffalo? Yeah, so the reason I'm not necessarily... um on Hyde, but I'm not avoiding him because of the change at um, at quarterback. Um, he's still reasonably priced on DraftKings, $5,100, and still seeing that huge touch here. Uh, the thing that is interesting is that so far this year, this has been Chip Kelly's most run-heavy offense uh, in his short career as an NFL play caller, and I think some people... Um, might lazily think that Cap is going to steal a lot of rushing from Carlos Hyde, but Blaine Gabbert leads all quarterbacks in rushing yards, so it's not like there's just going to be this massive shift with Cap coming in. They're already using the quarterback to run the ball a lot, so um, probably probably not on him this week, but I don't expect things to change with Cap in there. 
Right. And uh, you alluded to like Lamar Miller this week. You know, I think mm-hmm. I I agree. I think most everybody's probably going to be off of him just because it's been a really frustrating year. He's getting a ton of touches, but just hasn't been able to get in the end zone and just really hasn't turned his volume into a lot of fantasy production. But the Colts are ranked 31st in 4 for 4s schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed two running backs and as I mentioned Lamar Miller getting touches a lot of them every week so um really kind of like Lamar Miller as a contrarian play um I I know last week kind of had his lowest touch count but I I think you have to kind of throw out games against the Vikings um when you're looking at stats at this point I mean like Kelvin Benjamin had like a zero for one game against the Vikings you know Miller eight carries 20 yards against the Vikings just a really tough D um but I think you know Getting getting a guy getting that should anyway get that much of a workload as a home favorite against a, a poor defense um, could be a really interesting contrarian play, especially because as you mentioned, TJ, uh, I think a lot of people are kind of going to be paying up for for running backs this week, and there are a lot of guys in play. Uh, one other guy I wanted to talk about was Jamal Charles, uh, more so on DraftKings, I guess. Um, he's another guy priced very cheaply. Uh, in that 5K range, uh, any interest in Jamal Charles? Or are you, you still worried about Spencer Ware um, taking goal line work or just taking work in general from Charles? Yeah, I. it's just one of those spots where I just kind of want to see it first. I mean, I know in DFS we want to be out ahead of the field and um, not be reactive. But in a case like this where we just have really no idea um, what the share is going to be and the Chiefs haven't necessarily shown that they're going to be so run heavy this year that you can go with the 60-40 split and be comfortable with that. Um, I think that even in a good spot against the Raiders, probably a little too risky even in GPPs. Right, and I, you know, I'm, I'd be really interested to see kind of what ownership he's going to be. You know, if he's at, if he was at maybe like one one percent or something like that, or two percent, I think I'd have some interest, honestly, just because of you know the upside that he has against a defense that has really struggled. But you know, if he's going to kind of be in that you know six to six plus percent range, um, then I, I don't, I think a lot of the leverage is gone. I, I'd really like to get him as like a super super contrarian play. That's about it. Right. Wide receivers, Jarvis Landry, uh, you know, priced in the upper 6K range on both sites. Three targets last week in a game where Miami had only 41 offensive plays. But before that, Landry had 10 or more targets in eight straight games dating back to 2015. I really like Landry in this game because Miami got decimated uh, by pressure Last week against the Titans, they could not keep Ryan Tannehill upright, and I think they will employ a very quick passing game uh, against Pittsburgh, and I think they'll also have to pass a lot against Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh defends the run pretty well, and Pittsburgh can score a lot of points, and Miami's defense has been struggling as well. So I think this is a good spot for Jarvis Landry. Uh, The Steelers are allowing the most receptions per game to wide receivers in the league at 15.8. And another guy I like is Allen Robinson this week, 8,600 on FanDuel, 7,800 on DraftKings. He's been averaging 10.3 targets per game. That's sixth in the NFL among wideouts. 31.6% red zone target share is seventh among wideouts. 50% 
target share inside the 10 is for his team is tied for fourth in the NFL. The Bears gave up uh, 10 catches on 11 targets and uh, over 170 yards and a touch to T.Y. Hilton last week. And A-Rob is due for a little bit of positive regression. He's been getting the targets and all that, but he hasn't cleared 72 receiving yards yet. Uh, He faced Sam Shields in Week 1, Jason Verrett after that, and also Vontae Davis in the London game a couple weeks ago. So uh, Allen Robinson, I think he's kind of in a a spot where he, he could be primed to explode this week against some easier competition. TJ. Uh, my guy wide receiver this week is Doug Baldwin, priced at $7,600 on FanDuel, $6,500 on DraftKings. I especially like him on DraftKings. Uh, he's priced 11th on FanDuel, 11th wide receiver overall, but 23rd on DraftKings. So pretty big discrepancy there. Atlanta allows a 68.4 completion rate, which is among the highest in the league, and a 6.5% touchdown rate. Opponents pass over 75% of the time in the red zone versus the Falcons, which is the most in the league, and teams have converted 32% of their pass attempts in the red zone into touchdowns this year. The league average is about 21%. Uh, they were the Falcons, a very good team to target last week. We just didn't realize how bad Paxton Lynch was going to be, and I think people forget really quickly about things like that. Um, Atlanta's a pretty good secondary to target. And then another guy that I do like, I mentioned that we're going to have to probably punt some spots this week, <sighs> and it's come to this. Um, Tavon Austin. <laughs> It's hard for me to say. It's hard for me to get out of my mouth, but it's, I mean, at this point, it's it's getting pretty hard to ignore. He's $5,700 on FanDuel, $3,900 on DraftKings. Um, like I said, if you're going to punt a spot, I think pass catchers are a fantastic spot to do it because they are the more volatile positions. But Tavon's seen nine targets per game, uh, one of three guys with 30% target share. He has five red zone targets this year, which accounts for 36% of the Rams' red zone targets, and he's one of nine players to see at least 20% of his team's targets in every single game. So uh, it's not going to feel great, but if his price keeps staying low and he keeps seeing the volume, uh, you got you got to do it. Yeah, and I think Tavon is interesting this week because the, the problem with rostering Tavon Austin is – Usually he has these huge games that jack mm-hmm. up his price and then you never know when they're going to happen and then his price is high enough where he's just never a good dollar per point value. But right. this is a rare week where his price is down at, especially on DraftKings his price is down at 3900. So he actually is a great dollar per point value. And so if you're going to play Tavon Austin I think this is the spot to do it. Now, of course, like I said, he's a very unpredictable player. And, you know, it, you really never know when these big games are going to occur. But when they do occur, they're usually massive. He usually can hit that 100-yard bonus just on, like, on maybe, like, one or two plays. Um, obviously, more than one play. But, you know, it doesn't need many touches to hit to, to, to pop off a big play for Austin. Um, he's actually our uh, one of our top values, top two value on DraftKings. Uh, currently in our value report so I think this is actually a great week to play Austin the the Lions have not been a good defense they have not been a good passing defense they're missing 
Halote Nata in the middle so Austin can even maybe take a couple handoffs, run up inside. I know he did that a couple of times last week, so I, I, I do like the Austin call. This week, key stat, Emmanuel Sanders, Jordy Nelson, Larry Fitzgerald, Odell Beckham, and Kelvin Benjamin are the only wide receivers to see 50% or more of their team's targets inside the 10-yard line. Uh, I also have a target share stat as my key stat. Uh, Based on CV, which is a number we use to calculate consistency of wide receivers that have accounted for at least 20% of their team's target share this year, Jordy Nelson has been the most consistent week-to-week wide receiver in terms of target share. Lowest target share of the year this year, 27.3%. Highest, 30.6%. So really narrow range of outcomes for Jordy in terms of uh, what share of the team's looks he's going to see. Right, and I love Jordy. I love Jordy actually more on FanDuel because he's just getting such a high percentage of the team's red zone targets and, mm-hmm. and inside the 10, but he hasn't really been that deep threat that we're accustomed to yet. I know he had a big play. I believe it was against the Lions, but that was more of a catch and run type of situation. So Jordy not necessarily maybe all the way back in terms of his top-end speed and getting deep, but just money in the bank every week in in the red zone and Aaron Rodgers we know he throws a lot more efficiently at home especially in the red zone so uh, like Jordy on FanDuel a couple things with wide receivers TJ can we trust Jeremy Curley now with Kaepernick at quarterback Curley had been seeing nine targets per game about 30 percent of the 49ers targets averaging a 5.2 catch 61 yard 0.4 touchdown line how are you feeling about Curley with the quarterback change yeah I think that probably the the Curley target uh his, his big target share has been more function of Chip Kelly than the function of the quarterback Chip Kelly's always really favored that slot receiver so I I think that um if you do need a really cheap play, I think he's fine. Uh, I do think there is some risk with the quarterback change, but I'm not going to try to guess who Cap's going to throw to. I mean, there's not necessarily a guy that you would expect him to, to zero in on. Um, I think Torrey Smith does get a boost, but I don't think that necessarily means Curly sees a dip in value. Don't you dare mention Torrey Smith on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he's just not... Oh, my God. I mean, it's funny, though, because actually I know Buffalo does play. They do leave their corners on an island, and they play man coverage. So, I mean, this would actually probably be a situation where, you know, if Torrey Smith was able to get behind the defense and now it's Cap instead of Gabbert, you know, Cap has a better arm. So I I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if Smith made a big play or two. um, Yeah, I'm not playing him. Yeah, yeah. it's Just to be clear. Yeah. Uh, speaking of playing guys, Antonio Brown cost 10k on DraftKings. Any interest? GPPs, cash? No, fade completely. What are you feeling about this price tag for Antonio? You cannot afford him in cash games this week. Um, I mean, if if you want to and you come up with a lineup that you like, fine. But I just think you're giving up too much value elsewhere when salaries are already really tight. Um, 
in GPPs, you can always make a case to roster Antonio Brown. He's probably the best player in the league. Um, but I just there's no room in cash. And yeah, I I agree there. I think this week you know unnecessary in cash. It's just we always talk about kind of you know. With these high-end plays, you're not necessarily looking for that same, you know, 3x value that you would be with kind of a value play. You're probably looking for, you know, you know, two, 2.5x, and then your value plays have to make up the difference. But you know, as as the salary keeps climbing, and of course, and he's on the road too, which I usually to maximize, you know, my equity with that. I usually like to roster Antonio in cash at home just because he has such um, better home splits. But I, I know this defense of Miami is a mess. But um, just price tags really high for cash games um cam meredith going back to the well there or are we off him similarly to the way you know kind of feeling like maybe this is the week to get off hoyer yeah i think we could see a little bit of a squeaky wheel scenario with uh we saw alshon kind of losing it at the end of the game last week which you and i talked about earlier in the week so um i do think that that could uh we could see that happen this week. A little more Alshon. Still Zach Miller there. Um, still Eddie Royal. I think there's a lot of balls to go around. Like I said, I don't think Hoyer continues his tear. I think he's fine. Um, I just don't know if... Like, you have to be you have to be cautious. He had a, a big week last week, but I don't think, given this offense, given the makeup of the offense, given the other players, given that I think they're going to be running a little more, you can't expect that Meredith is going to roll out of bed and see eight or nine targets. Right, and Mr. Rich Rebar, who writes a great column every week called The Worksheet, wrote about Jeffrey. He's actually averaging 12.7 yards per target. That's second in the league for all receivers with 20 or more targets. So it's not like Jeffrey hasn't been good. He's just not seeing the target share we're accustomed to. But as you mentioned, Squeaky Will may be in effect. It looked like Brian Hoyer missed him wide open at the end of last week's game for a potentially uh, uh, game-changing uh, score. So uh, I do like that Alshon, Jeffrey, Squeaky Wheel call. Uh, let's go to tight ends, Delaney Walker. Uh, he's the top option in the Tennessee passing game as they continue to shuffle their underwhelming wide receiver, wide receiving core. Um, it looks like it's just not going to happen for, for Tajay Sharp. You know, he's just another guy kind of in there. He's not really a deep threat. Um, I think he's a good receiver, but it's just there's not a high enough volume pass offense, and they seem to have an infatuation with with Andre Johnson. So Walker, 6,700 on FanDuel. He's 55 on DraftKings. The Browns rank 32nd, dead last in our strength of schedule adjusted uh, fantasy points allowed. The Browns have given up a 6-for-58 line to Zach Ertz in Week 1, then 9-for-102 to Dennis Pitta in Week 2. Uh, in Week 3, they played the Dolphins, um, so that's pretty irrelevant. Uh, in Week 4, uh, Jordan Reed, 9-for-73-2, and two. and then last week, of course, Martellus Bennett, 6 catches, 67 yards, and 3 touchdowns, but no, that's not it. They also gave up 5 catches for 109 yards to Rob Gronkowski, so Cleveland really struggling to defend the tight end position uh, this season. TJ? Yeah, my guy uh, this week is Travis Kelsey. He's 
kind of been flying under the radar this year, but the volume's been there. Uh, he's averaging 7.3 targets per game. He has eight red zone targets on the season, five inside the 10-yard line. Uh, I mentioned that I think Alex Smith could have a really good game against this Oakland pasty open ranks in the bottom 10 in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Travis Kelsey, $6,400 on FanDuel, $5,000 on DraftKings. Uh, really like him in all formats this week. Key stat, Kyle Rudolph, Greg Olson, Jason Witten, and Travis Kelsey are all seeing at least 33% of their team's red zone targets. And there are only three other tight ends in the league that are even seeing 25%, uh, and that's Charles Clay, Jacob Tammy, and Jesse James. So Rudolph, Olson, Witten, and Kelsey seeing a lot uh, of red zone work. TJ? Uh, we're kind of on the same page in this one this week. My key stat, Greg Olson leads all tight ends in red zone target share, but he's converted just one of those red zone targets into a score. Tight ends convert red zone targets uh, at a higher rate than any other position, usually around 30%. Uh, Greg Olson, just one of eight. So that's a number that even within uh, a single season tends to regress towards some mean. We've seen Greg Olson be not the most efficient tight end in the league, but somewhat close to league average. So I think that um, he should start scoring some more points. Yeah, it seemed like Derek Anderson tried to force that regression and threw a Mm -hmm. terrible pass to Greg Olson at the one-yard line. I got picked off by the husband of Miko Grimes last week. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of... Olsen, so this week he's 7K on DraftKings and 8,100 on FanDuel. That is the most uh, among tight ends given, you know, just given the position and the fact that most of the other options are just a lot cheaper. Uh, are you paying up for Greg Olsen this week? I assume you wouldn't do so in cash, but I guess, you know, in tournaments, uh, do you want to be kind of overweight to the field on Greg Olsen or, or just have some exposure or, or how are you treating that situation? Yeah, I mean, I'm fine paying up for Olsen and GPPs. I really like um, paying up for those volatile positions as long as the opportunity is there because uh, it is such a volatile position. It's going to give you a really uh, unique lineup usually when you do that and um, I think that when you can you can combine that upside, which also is another term for the volatility, um, with that unique lineup, it's it's always a really good GPP strategy. I'm fine doing it. Yeah, I think uh, you know I, I think I'm, I might not want to be overweight on him. I think I definitely want some exposure. I think he'll be pretty highly owned though. After coming off just this monster game and going against the Saints, those two factors usually lead to um, high ownership. And I think um, if people kind of pay up for Greg Olson there's going to be a lot of similar lineup so um it actually might I mean I don't I don't know how it's going to turn out but I, I suspect that um it'll be one of those weeks where I think people will be paying up for tight end more than usual uh what so speaking of so now if Olsen's going to be popular um then of course we always get into these kind of pivot situations so what do you think about Rob Gronkowski um uh, you know kind of in the same salary range, a little more expensive on Fanduel, a little less expensive on on, on DraftKings. Uh, actually, the Bengals actually, according to the schedule adjusted metrics, uh, are a better matchup uh, for tight ends than the 
New Orleans Saints, Gronkowski coming off a 100-yard game. Uh, we saw Bennett score the three touchdowns last week. Any interest in, in Rob Gronkowski as a pivot off Olsen? Yeah, the thing I like about Gronk is that I think there's going to be uh, some misinterpretation of of what the New England situation is with Martellus Bennett and Gronk, especially because Bennett scored those three touchdowns. If I recall correctly, two of them came from outside the red zone. We actually saw uh, Bennett's snap share drop by a pretty significant amount. He went from about 80% to, I think, down to like 67%, which is still a fair amount of snaps, but that's also something that we should be taking note of. Uh, Gronk's still going to be on the field more. He's still their best red zone target. So I do like that play a lot. Kicker. Who you got, TJ? Uh, I like Ryan Suckup, $4,500. Tennessee's favored by 7.5 at home with a 25.75 implied point total. I like DeMarco, and I like Tennessee defense. Um, stacking kicker with either of those positions is a nice correlation play. Don't want to force it, but when when it is there and it works, it's it is a nice little added correlation to your GPP lineups. Also viable in cash games. And at defense, the Buffalo Bills are forty eight hundred on Fanduel, thirty seven hundred on DraftKings. As I mentioned before, they are eight point home favorites. The Forty Niners have an implied total of eighteen currently. There is a negative correlation there where def- as imp- uh, imposing implied total decreases, uh, fantasy defensive scoring increases. So good situation for Buffalo. They are averaging 13.8 FanDuel and DraftKings points per game. So they are currently the number two defense in terms of scoring in the league. Uh, according to our friends over at Football Outsiders, the Bills are fourth in adjusted sack rate at 9.2%. And I think that's really interesting because Colin Kaepernick's career sack rate is 9.0%. Mm-hmm. And I did some research uh, a while ago. It's in some of my earlier DFS playbook editions. But essentially, sack rates are more of a quarterback trait. and Interception rates are actually not as predictive, but sack rates are, are actually more predictive. They're a quarterback trait. They don't necessarily depend solely on the offensive line. It's also you know how quick the quarterback uh, is prone to hold the ball or get rid of the ball. So Colin Kaepernick takes a lot of sacks, and I, I think this could be one of those games where – um, that that continues given Buffalo's defense and, and the way they play uh, defense. So love the Bills this week. I'm sure they'll be a pretty chalky play, but um, still still really like them uh, this week. Let's get right into our DFS theory segment. Today we'll be talking about our late Saturday night early Sunday leading up to lineup lock process. Um, I kind of threw it out to Twitter today asking what listeners would like to hear about. And this was one of the most recurring themes among the questions I got. So I figured we will uh, talk about this. Now, we did touch on how to deal with late breaking news in an earlier pod. Um, I don't remember which one off the top of my head, but I will link it in the notes on the uh, 444.com page with the podcast. But uh, we'll just go more in depth on our overall kind of last 24, 12 to 24 hours leading up to the lineup lock 
uh, the process there. So, uh, you know, it starts out, you know, I think Sunday morning, we can kind of work work around there. But Sunday morning, you know, what should you be checking for? Um, weight-breaking injury news, of course. Um, Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport usually start reporting the uh, injury news and the potential actives and inactives uh, about 3, 4 a.m. So uh, Eastern time. So if you're up late on the West Coast or early on the East Coast, um, you can usually get a jump on some of those injury reports. Um, of course, you always want to check for the weather. Um, specifically, I think wind or really heavy rain, wind above maybe 15 miles per hour, getting into that 20 mile per hour range. Um, you don't want to overreact too much to the wind. It really, you know, if it's a certain type of player, maybe kickers, you know, you want to be careful with, but, uh, I think sometimes people overreact to the wind when it comes to passing games just because, um, you don't need to throw deep or, or, or anything like that to have a lot of success passing I think we saw that uh or, and sometimes you know even with the wind you know it doesn't affect it too much so I think you know just when it's really extreme cases of wind or or, or a receiver that kind of only um is like a deep ball guy like maybe a Deshaun Jackson but you know mm-hmm. I, I know we saw I think people were kind of worried about the wind in in week two or three when the Packers played the Lions and both those teams ended up tearing it up um through the air so I wouldn't overreact to the wind um, but you know, if it's an extreme case, um, I would definitely kind of pull back on, on certain guys. And then, and of course, line movement, which is something we always talk about. Uh, you always want to check for any Vegas line movement because what happens is uh, a lot of people are consuming DFS content all week, and almost everyone who's putting out DFS content is going to reference the Vegas lines in some way. But of course that content, you know, comes out Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe. So, um, if there's some line movement, you know, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, which is a lot of times when maybe the sharps like to jump on certain games, um, it's not necessarily going to be reflected in a lot of the content you consume. So I always like to check those lines Saturday night, Sunday morning. And something I like to do is I like to wait to, to, to make my final decision, even if I've made my lineups beforehand, I usually like to wait to make my final decision on which defenses to to play in a given week until I see kind of that final line movement. Because, for example, last week, you know, when I when I saw Buffalo kind of become the favorite after opening as an underdog against the Rams, Buffalo became uh, my second highest exposed defense after the Vikings, which um, I think worked out well. So, you know, looking at just uh, line movement, of course, reverse line movement, um, really crucial on you know Saturday and Sunday morning. Um, anything else, TJ? You're looking out for just in terms of kind of you know news items or, or, or things on, on Sunday mornings. Yeah, you touched on it a lot, and what I'm kind of looking to do is um, when I'm adjusting my line. Like what I want to do is Saturday night before I go to bed for. In an ideal world, I have all of my my lineups and backup lineups set. And the reason I say backup lineups is because um, there usually, if there's a case where we're unsure about a a player, um, we have some sign of it. Usually, a player is questionable. We're waiting to find out. We're waiting to see if a player is going to start or not. And a lot of times, that's going to have pretty drastic effects on your. Uh, lineup construction because it's not just going to be an easy 1v1 switch obviously especially say there's a player like a 
um, a running back, if you're going to end up starting as backup, that's going to really throw off your entire lineup because you're going to have two players at very different price points. Even if it's a receiver, if you say you have a Brandon Marshall that you're hoping to play at $7,500, if he's out, you're not automatically just going to plug in as backup. Um, you might not have a guy in the same price range. So what I like to do is I like to have hopefully all of my lineups made the night before as well as some backup lineups and what i'm going to do is have the lineup i ideally want and then the lineups that i'll have if um if news changes what what i'm expecting like the questionable player tag and the easiest way for me to handle this this is what i get asked the most how do i handle these player shares how, how do i handle um all the the tinkering and moving around and if you have a four for four subscription what you should be doing and the easiest way to do this is to uh, just save your lineups in the lineup generator and it's it just makes it really easy that if you have a uh, breaking news and you need to switch out player shares in, in cash games it's easy if you're playing just one lineup you just have you just have one lineup if if your player is going to be healthy one lineup if he's not going to be healthy and gpps um it's going to be a little more tedious you're gonna have to save a lot more lineups but the, the thing you could do is save all those lineups, and then if, if there is breaking news, you have to switch everything. You can um, you can weight your players on the 4 for 4 lineup generator, and if you're worried about that exposure, you can click one button, and you can see exactly what your exposure is uh, with your old lineups or with your new lineups. And then the fantastic thing is you can just export those um into a CSV and upload them to the sites on DraftKings and Fandle. So you don't have to go through the clicking one by one and, and getting all these lineups. And uh, that's where I think a lot of people really run into the stress uh, early in the morning. And then when there is something like line movement, uh, I think you really have to be, um, you have to be careful in how sensitive you're being to, to indicators like this, because I don't think you ever want to just throw away the research you've been doing all week. You want to um, adjust it. And a lot of times what, what will end up happening is I'll just end up uh, adjusting my, my player share. So what happened, like an example this year, um, have the Sean McCoy who I was really high on uh, the week against Arizona because there had been uh, some reverse line movement in favor of the Bills all week. <clears throat> And then when I woke up Sunday morning, the line had moved back in favor of the Cardinals. I uh, wasn't exactly sure how I was going to handle that, but simultaneously the news broke that Shane Vereen was going to be starting for the Giants. Now, uh, instead, uh, where whereas I had zero Shane Vereen beforehand, what I what I basically ended up doing was swapping out some shares. So whereas I was very very overweight on Lashawn McCoy beforehand, um, that line movement made me. Uh, be more on on par with the field so just for example say I expected him to be 15% owned I shifted him closer to like a 15% share in my lineups where it might have been 30 or 40% before a lot of that going in favor of the breaking news uh, for Vereen starting getting some some shares for Vereen in there uh, you have to adjust accordingly but again having a tool like the lineup generator where you can plug those lineups and save them and, and make sure you're not something like crazy, like a hundred percent on a player, 90% on a player by accident, uh, kind of the process I'm going to. And I think a lot of people ask this question because it gets hectic and, and you want this, uh, easy paint with a broad brush approach. But I mean, that's just the nature of it. It's Sunday mornings are hectic. There's a reason it's, it's, um, it's really hard to manage. And, and we, we kind of find ourselves, you know, 
in a pinch why you see people working up until lineup lock, but that's just kind of the process I'm going through uh, with with all of those factors. Uh, okay, cool. A lot of great stuff there. A couple questions first. Uh, you mentioned player exposure. So what? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people ask me this. What is your? What would be your maximum exposure to a player in a given week? Like what is? What? How? How high are you okay with um, going? Yeah. So again, this is uh, dependent on a few factors: um, the position and the price, mainly because uh, more volatile positions like wide receivers and tight ends. Uh, I'm tend not to gonna. I I tend not to be as overweight as a position like maybe a running back and then again being price sensitive um if i have a fantastic running back value who is extremely cheap then if i like that play i'm willing to be very very overweight maybe like 75 percent even on that player because it's a reliable position that i could project it's opening up a a lot of um it's opening a lot of room in my in my lineup without adding too much volatility now like a pass catcher uh, even if that guy's very cheap, there's still uh, an insane amount of risk attached to the position just because of the volatility by nature of a player that um, might only touch the ball six or seven times in a game. So even if someone is a fantastic value, like, I don't know, say Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall are out and you could have, you could roster Quincy and was for like $4,000. I'm still probably never going to have more than maybe like 50% of uh, of Quincy Anunwa just because that pass catcher role, um, you never really know what you're going to get. And then quarterbacks, uh, for a little bit of a different reason, um, it's really hard, especially in GPPs, to um, to take down a, a, a tournament without the proper passing game without the proper stack or the proper quarterback in your lineup so um, i'm gonna manage my my quarterback shares uh a little closer to the vest i mean i'm almost never gonna have 80 percent of one quarterback and then just maybe like one other other quarterback stack i might have two three maybe four but um weighted a little bit more evenly because if you if you don't nail down that top passing game it's going to be really hard to to do well in your gpp so um again not, not a blanket rule or, or a strict rule of thumb and again that's why it's that's why this game's hard it's, if it was easy we'd all be rich but uh all these nuances depending on position depending on price uh depending on what your goals are depending on how many lineups you have uh, obviously if you're if you're only rolling out two gpp lineups your approach is going to be really different than if you're rolling out a hundred um so just taking all those things into consideration if you have a hundred lineups you could obviously manage your exposure a little bit uh closer to, to what you would really want and and then the final thing just recognizing what you probably think um ownership percentage are, is going to be in terms of your exposure so instead of just blindly throwing out numbers saying i want 40 percent exposure on this guy and not knowing why you can look at uh thursday games that you played you can look at the ownership projections that we put out on 444 realize someone like Antonio Brown is expected to be about 20% owned, then you can make a lot more of an educated decision on your player shares from there. And that's really how I start building my lineups on Saturday nights. If do I want to be underweight, overweight, or on par with the field? Um, and then I can, can really start to decide I want twice as much as the field. So that means I'm going to have about 40% uh, exposure to Antonio Brown. And then do I have uh, Ben Roethlisberger stacks going? So that's going to account for a huge chunk of my exposure because I'm probably going to have Antonio Brown with all of my Ben Roethlisberger. If I don't, I'm going to spread them out evenly among the other stacks. And 
Uh, I think when you start doing that, start going through that process, you will recognize really quickly that all that stress that comes with trying to manage these hundreds of lineups kind of takes care of itself because as you scatter these different players, your player pool throughout your your lineups and, and different stacks, um, those shares kind of take care of themselves because you can only fit so many players in different lineups. You can't fit three expensive players and in, in three expensive wide receivers in every single lineup. So you're kind of going to naturally diversify there. Uh, so that's kind of how I'm going through that process. It still gets chaotic. Don't mean to make it sound like it's super simple, but uh, if you take that approach and go step by step, it's uh, less stressful. Right, and I think you brought up a good point about the fact that it is probably more advantageous to have a little lower exposure to wide receivers than running backs because I, I think you hit the nail on the head where you know running backs are a little more predictable, their volume is more bankable, and a lot of times you'll see just a cheap guy that – um, has bankable volume and you know like yeah, I remember I think it was week one Spencer Ware I think my final mm-hmm. my final DraftKings exposure was like 82 percent which mm-hmm. I, I usually never do but I just you know it was risky don't get me wrong I'm, it proved to be very profitable that week and um you know there's weeks where it won't always be but uh you know just certain times you know when you play this game you, you get a feel for a certain guy um you know Jordan Howard I know was like that these last couple of weeks um you just have to roll with it if you feel confident with a running back whereas I think with wide receivers, and this kind of goes into the psychological aspect of the game too, I, I, I find myself, you know, I like to keep, play it, you know, lower exposure to wide receivers because I think you can get, you can fall into the trap of feeling overconfident about certain receivers, mm-hmm. you know, and where, and, and I think with wide receivers, uh, it's, once you kind of narrow down your player pool at wide receiver and you have your, I don't know, 10, 15 guys, maybe depending on how many lineups you play of, of wide receivers that, that you think, you know, have legitimate shots at, you know, having that, that top five, top 10 week. Um, I, I think th- there's not a lot of difference between them. You know, I think when a wide receiver goes off, a wide receiver goes off, he'll probably get around a hundred yards. He'll probably catch six, seven balls and probably score a touchdown. And, you know, it, it, by falling in love with a certain one over the others, I think it's it's we're just not it's not possible to be that accurate at forecasting to where you can say okay this I, I am I'm fifty three percent confident in this guy and twenty eight mm-hmm. like it's just more I like to kind of uh, a lot more equal a lot more equality in my wide receiver exposure and uh, for for the listeners that have a four for four DFS subscription you guys know that we break down each of our uh, our GPP uh, recommendations by roster slot. So, for example, we'll have wide receiver one on DraftKings. That will be, you know, 8,500 plus, and then a guy that can fit in one or two slot, and then that will be like 65 to 84, and then wide receiver two or three would be like 55 to 64, and then, you know, your wide receiver three or your flex would be under uh, $5,500. And what I like to do is I like to get, you know, maybe two or three guys, my top two or three guys that I want to be, you know, have exposure to in each roster slot. And then I like to build my rosters out from that and, and, and mm-hmm. have different combinations of those wide receivers. Because I think, uh, as TJ mentioned, it's very important to, to kind of hit on the right passing games. And I think you can get away with sometimes, because running backs are so predictable and their volume is so bankable, you can get away with kind of not getting a perfect running back game. Like, I, I think the winner of the Millie Maker this week, or last week, I should say, you know, had Todd Gurley in there mm-hmm. at 6,500 at running back. And Todd Gurley only had about 18.8 points, which is, you want more than that when you're paying 6.5K 
at running back, but because he had a mix of the right pass catchers, because he, he kind of had a unique roster construction because he, he didn't play a lot of the chalk plays at the higher end of salary or at the lower end of salary. So he kind of had a lot to work with there. You know, he, he got away with, with Todd Gurley scoring that amount. You know, so I think it's really important to kind of build out from your pass catchers, your wide receivers. You're going to have a couple of probably a couple of guys at each pricing tier at wide receiver, and you're going to want to mix and match those. And then, and then by, by doing that, you know, that's going to account for three or probably four of your roster slots because usually you want to be rostering a wide receiver in the flex. Um, so if you have, you know, those three or four roster slots out of the way, you're, as TJ mentioned, the quarterbacks are going to kind of take care of themselves because you're probably going to stack where you can. And if not, you're just going to choose a, you know, kind of a value option or, and at running back, if you already have your wide receivers in place and you have your quarterback in place, the running backs are going to kind of fall into place because it's just, it's going to depend on how much salary you have left after combining uh, all of your wide receivers. So I think really would encourage you guys to, to kind of, Think about lineup construction, not necessarily building, you know, around a stack necessarily or around a certain, you know, player, but around just building around different combinations of wide receivers. And TJ, something I wanted to uh, touch on because there's another thing I know a lot of people ask me is, so given the fact that, you know, you play multiple lineups and I know probably if people are taking the time out to listen to uh, us talk about DFS for an hour, they are too probably playing multiple lineups. So TJ, uh, you're saying that which you the way you manage your lineups is you're actually doing most of your tinkering in, say, like the lineup generator or in mm-hmm. a spreadsheet rather than on the site itself. Yeah, just because if I'm building lineups on a site... Um... It's just going to be really hard for me to, to track exactly what I'm doing and have a, um, like, you're just kind of trying to eyeball it. And if you're playing 50 lineups, that's almost impossible to do. So a program like 444 Lineup Generator, uh, if you're super savvy with spreadsheets, you could build something out uh, that will that will do that as well. But, um, yeah, the, the, it's just so easy now because you can't export or upload those, those lineups instantly. And even if you already have... Um, lineups. I don't know if Fandle has this functionality, but DraftKings definitely does. Even if you've already uploaded 100 lineups, uh, you can just do a swap. So you can go to edit lineups. Uh, there's a, a button that will download the lineups with those entries. And you can just copy and paste from the CSV of, of the lineups you want to swap in. Uh, one button and all those lineups are edited for you. Uh, you don't have to try to worry about the shares. You can manage those outside of the site. Uh, and then just it's it's three clicks and you're done. Right, yeah, definitely the four for four lineup uh, generator available to DFS subscribers is really a great tool. Um, something it really makes managing exposure and lineups uh, very easy and getting them onto the site. Um, yeah. So really encourage you guys to, to to play around with that. And you know, I, I would say you know again, I think at this point in in the DFS, you know, in the, in the industry. I think you can get a lot, a, a large edge by, and this is why we're even talking about this. You can get a large edge by mastering some of these process mm-hmm. um, points rather than, I think everyone's kind of inclination when it comes to DFS research is to spend all of their time 
looking at projections and looking at all these stats and trying to figure out exactly which players they think are the best plays. But in mm-hmm. reality, as I said before, I think as forecasters, I think there's there's a limit to where we can kind of narrow down and identify our player pools and we kind of can have you know somewhat of an inclination of which players are, are, are going to be the right players to have exposure to. But, but, but there's a limit as to how exact you can forecast beyond that. But what you can do is you can get an edge in your process, in, in how you're able to manage your lineups on Sunday morning. If you're sitting there and you're able to react to all this late-breaking news because you have your saved lineups in your lineup generator and you have your player exposure in front of you and and you can easily just click a button get a csv and click another button and upload it to you know your site you're gonna you're gonna have a huge edge on the people that are just scrambling mm-hmm. um and i see it you know i see it on twitter every morning and you know that's why i don't i i don't really like to be on twitter you know mm-hmm. sunday morning just because there's so much going on and people are panicking and people are tinkering and people are asking questions about should i swap this guy for this guy and it's like you know just just spend some time away from you know just trying to project players and looking at stats because remember I'm, I'm sure a lot of you guys that are reading you probably have a four for four subscription or you have some other subscription or you have your own projection spreadsheet like you know that information is is going to be there and you're not going to get a humongous edge by crunching you know numbers for a, an additional hour but if you spend mm-hmm. an hour familiarizing yourself with the lineup generator familiarizing yourself with how to set your player exposure familiarizing yourself with how to upload uh line uh, create lineups in a spreadsheet because you can do this even without the lineup generator honestly you can you can mm-hmm. um there's a template on FanDuel and DraftKings that you can go to and you can download it and um and then you you essentially will build lineups through a spreadsheet and if you're really good with spreadsheets um you can you can create your you can build a build a a formula to, to calculate your exposure there too as well so just spending time really familiarizing yourself with these um processes that will give you an edge too um and of course we're looking for any edge we can find and i think because there's just so much great data you know 444 has so much great data you know elsewhere there's just a lot of great data out there that you're not necessarily going to get a huge edge like the data the data that's there is there and it's always going to be there and almost everyone's looking at the same data the same stats you know but mastering these other processes really important really give you an edge and you know that's kind of i guess something i wanted to get into uh, with you tj is you know just what are your sleeping habits what are your eating habits you know saturday night sunday morning leading up to the game you know any anything special you do just to get an edge in in that way yeah i mean this is more of a, a personal thing i think uh i'm not the kind of person that that's gonna um be able to function with no sleep I'm like a, a eight hour guy minimum, and I know a lot of people like to uh, kind of wear their no sleep as a badge of honor, and I, I don't think that's the way to go. I mean, I've I've been uh, bartending pretty much my whole adult life until these this last year, and I've noticed an exponential difference in my process Sunday morning, just getting s- seven or eight hours sleep before uh, the games on Sunday, and and waking up fresh and being able to react to all this news, not going out partying Saturday night. Um, I mean, it's there's just if if you're taking this game seriously, those are the kind of sacrifices uh, that you need to make. So, um, yeah, I I don't drink on Saturdays. I do all my drinking after kickoff on Sunday. Uh, try to get a full night's sleep when possible. I mean, there's there are nights when I'm up till till midnight or one building lineups, but even even then, I'm still getting six or seven hours. So, um, definitely all if you can, not waiting till till the last minute to to 
build these lineups, just having all this stuff ready to go um, on Saturday. So Sunday you can you can uh, adjust kind of relaxed. And if, if you get really comfortable with this process and you're, you're feeling fresh, you're feeling good and you're, you get up in time to have your, your coffee and breakfast. And even if you're on the West coast, like me, there's, I mean, last week I did a lot of tinkering and kickoffs at 10 AM. And by nine 15, I was, I was just kind of kicking back waiting for kickoff. And um, that's, that's more of a function of like you mentioned, I've gone through the beginning of the year when DraftKings and FanDuel changed their formats a little bit. It takes an hour, you know, upload 10 lineups um, and then see how you can adjust them both on, on four for four in your spreadsheet. If you, if you want to do that and then on the site and uh, that hour, do it in the middle of the week, do it today when you're done listening to the podcast, uh, just sit down and, and put in some dummy lineups and practice switching them out. I knew how to do all that on Sunday and it was really fast, really easy. And, um, luckily it was one of those weeks where I just had time to relax before the games, but all those things kind of, kind of factor into it. Right. Yeah. I think that's a great point. You know, just spend time on, you know, other things that can improve your DFS game, like not just, you know, rankings and projections and, mm-hmm. and value. Cause like that, that's being done, like that's being done for you by mm-hmm. the service you're subscribing to but the service mm-hmm. you're subscribing to is not going to be there on sunday morning able to log into your DraftKings account and, and swap in all these players or, or upload all these lineups so that's what you have to do so you know like know your role like you know you know it, it you kind of got to look at it you know you're 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 part of a team you you, you know it's kind of like you're managing you're managing your team and, and you're you you have a certain role and then you know the data has a certain role and the, the subscriptions have a certain role and even the podcast has a certain role so you know be good do your job which is you know those little things you know it's not just projecting players and and and, and, and rankings and all, and all this stuff and you know one thing tj also mentioned about you know drinking on saturday night i'm sure that nobody's going to listen to us and everybody's <laughs> probably going to go out and get smacked on saturday night because i mean it's saturday night so my advice you know something that's really worked for me um to kill hangovers one thing you can do if when you come home if you can catch it um just chug like two tall glasses of water um, before you go to sleep like that usually by itself because the reason you usually get a hangover is usually dehydrated so if you just chug two glasses of water that usually by itself will kill your hangover but if you just don't do that for some reason and you wake up and you know you have some lineups to get to and it's sunday morning and you're hungover what usually works for me is uh two Alka-Seltzer tabs, tablets. So you just, um, you can get them usually at any gas station, pharmacy, corner store, whatever. And you just pop, you just dump each one of them into a glass of maybe like six to eight ounces of water. Um, and you just drink those. And usually, um, after drinking two of those, um, hangover just magically disappears. So, um, that's a little tip, um, that I have if you're struggling with just drinking too much on Saturday night. And I'll also mention, you know, just waking up in the morning, you know, I, I think, First of all, what TJ said about sleep, very important. I heard a quote that I really like called sleep is a weapon. And I think that's true. I think that's just another edge you can get if you, if you're, if you have a good night's sleep, you know, and then you wake up and, you know, you're going to be well rested and thinking clearer. And even when you're doing some of your last minute tinkering, you have a, a much clearer head than somebody that's going on four hours of sleep. Um, you, you'll probably make better decisions. So I, mean, I think get as much sleep as you can. Um, in the morning, you know, Slow digesting carbs are always going to be better than some uh, a simple carb, which is slow digesting carbs are things like um, oatmeal, beans. 
things like that as opposed to something real like a donut which is just sugar um you know simple carb higher glycemic index so things like that they'll they'll help your your performance um if you're looking for just an additional edge beyond you know beyond the numbers and beyond the the projecting players um and tj i guess we can close up just you know a lot of people tend to make jokes on Twitter Saturday night about just tinkering with their lineups and over tinkering. And, you know, what's your, what's kind of your, just your overall approach on tinkering? Do you do it a lot? Do you kind of set a limit where you say, you know, I'm not touching anything after this point? Um, or are you just always okay with tinkering? Cause that's just part of your overall process. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think we've, we've kind of covered it in, in terms of prepping on Saturday night, having those, if you have those backup lineups ready and something we haven't touched on, uh, but is probably really, really important is to m- make sure you have your player pool narrowed down so that when it is time to tinker, you're not just blindly throwing these plays into your lineup. You have maybe maybe a player from each pricing tier or, or players only from certain games that you'll that you're willing to uh, to add last minute. And like you, you can't avoid tinkering just because um, news changes up to the kickoff. But narrowing things down, knowing where you want to go, knowing what the backup plan is, uh, doing all the all the work before. I mean, it's basically, it's just like studying for the test. You're, you're not if you're cramming, the chances of, of passing that test are going to be pretty hard. But if you're if you're studying all semester, it's just part of the process, and that's basically what we're doing. We have uh, 17 really short semesters, and just get all the work done beforehand, and then usually Sunday's the fun part and, and pretty easy. Definitely. And, um, you know, I agree. I think I think one of the things that 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 people have problems with with tinkering, especially if they play a lot of tournament lineups is, you know, they they get their player pool, they do their research, they they narrow down their player pool, they make their lineups and then they're sitting there and like, ah, but damn, I just want to play this guy or maybe this might happen or this guy could go off. And what if I don't have him and he goes off or, you know, they start kind of second guessing themselves. And I think something because I know everyone that's going to happen to everyone, you know, regardless of how much we advise you, you know, to, to kind of, you know, follow a, a, a certain process. So I think one thing that I do to mitigate this is I, I give myself a small budget where I just create YOLO lineups. So usually it'll just be, you know, a budget, uh, maybe, maybe 20 to 50 bucks and I'll just throw, you know, one or two or three dollar uh entry low low buy-in entry fees and it'll just be any any kind of lineup that maybe i'm just worried about not having exposure to a player or um you know i just kind of get maybe it's a hunch or, or anything just like that where or just a lineup that i kind of conceived that's just kind of not really didn't really come to fruition in my, in my process but a lineup that i'm kind of just feeling i'll just create i'll just create i'll have that little yolo yolo budget and i'll just throw a $1 entry of this lineup in and then that kind of psychologically helps you because now you're not you're not going to necessarily throw off your your main core in, in all the research you've done and you're not going to kind of ruin it but at the same time psychologically you're, you're now comfortable because you have accounted for you know whatever your hunch told you or whatever you know just a guy maybe you wanted to get in there um so I, it, it kind of makes you feel better kind of gets you kind of gets you uh, just a little bit of exposure to some guys maybe you're uncomfortable having no exposure to but at the same time you didn't really want to invest a whole lot in so i think that's something you know if you're somebody who plays a, a significant amount you know even if you're your yolo budget it is you know three dollars and you enter you know after you're finished with your process you enter you know three extra one dollar lineups in a tournament you know that's something you can consider um to just alleviate that 
Um, yeah, I mean, my my final word on all of that would be uh, if you're looking for process outside of the, the lineup building process, um, even if you're not a 4 for 4 subscriber, but especially if you are, uh, don't gloss over the intros on our articles on 4 for 4, uh, the FanDuel, DraftKings, Cash Game, and GPP lineups. Uh, we're putting out a lot of thoughts out there that uh, are, are thought processes that have uh, really formulated the way that Chris and I go about our overall process and and um, it's not just to fill the page there are things that if you read them and, and don't gloss over them the cumulative effect of having that in the back of your head is just naturally and, and psychologically like chris talked about going to uh just really make that process easier because you're gonna gonna be able to to reach back and and remember that i don't need to do this risk-taking approach or, or this is a process that um, I remember that that helps alleviate some of this pressure and uh, those things outside of player selection were, we're going over a lot in those intros. So so take a look at them. Definitely. And you should, even if you are not a 444 subscriber, as TJ alluded to, you should be able to read those um, because the uh, teaser break is usually after the intro. So um, even if you're not a 444 sub, um, I'm sure you've seen me and TJ tweet out the links to each of our articles every week. You can just click on them and you should be able to uh, at least read the intro but of course um, I highly recommend you check out 444's DFS subscription seems like every week we're getting some some real positive feedback by somebody who you know had their biggest uh, payday yet Um, a lot of new features in the 444 sub this year if you were a sub last year and you haven't renewed or anything like that Um, and the price actually has just dropped um, from its opening season price of 99 it is now 79 so Check it out, 444.com, our DFS subscription. You can find a discount code by checking out my pinned tweet. Uh, My Twitter handle is at Chris Raybon, at C-H-R-I-S-R-A-Y-B-O-N. Also, make sure to follow TJ as well. His Twitter handle is TJ Hernandez. That's at T-J-H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z. And uh, TJ, uh, any final words, uh, anything on roster coach? Yeah, Chris and I are both available for one-on-one DFS coaching at rostercoach.com, website that I founded that is a video-based DFS learning site. Uh, basically, you can you can go at all these processes that we've talked about. You can see exactly what we're doing every week and how we're doing them. Um, and if, you, if you're looking to take your DFS game to the next level and really want to expedite that learning curve, uh, you can get Chris and I one-on-one. Definitely. Make sure you check it out. It's a really awesome site. Some some great video content there. And of course, the coaching sessions are invaluable. want to thank you guys all for listening to DFS MVP each and every week. We really appreciate all of the listens, all of the positive feedback we receive. Um, please uh, leave us a review on iTunes if you like the show. That really helps us a lot. Also, give us a shout. Give us a retweet. That also helps a lot. But again, we really, really uh, appreciate all you guys for tuning in. And we hope that we provided uh, valuable content for you guys. And we wish you luck in week six of 2016. Any parting words, Mr. Hernandez? Strictly for my shmoney. Let's get this shmoney. Yeah. I get around. Still clown with the underground when we come around. 